We have our first sponsor. If you guys have been watching our Instagram account, you've probably seen it. One of the coolest things that Precision Camera offers is what's called a virtual showroom. What you can do is log into their website at precision-camera.com. And right on the first page there, you'll see a link to the virtual showroom. You can go in there and schedule an appointment. And what you'll do is a video conference with a salesperson on the floor. And these people deal with all levels, all camera brands, all the time. And you're going to be able to tell them your level of experience or the person that you're buying for. And you'll be able to tell them your budget. And based off of that, you'll be able to narrow in on what is the best camera for what you have going on. If you don't have time for a video chat, there is also a text chat option. If you have a quick question about a product, you can type in your question and somebody will get back to you very quickly. If you decide to do that and you decide to buy a camera, we got a good deal for you. With their sponsorship of the show, they've also given us a coupon code. If you go in, set up your account, create your purchase, get to the checkout screen, you'll get a little field on the checkout sheet that asks for a coupon code. And what you want to put in is wild and exposed. And what that gets you is $50 off of a $500 or more dollar purchase. We're super excited to have Precision Camera as a sponsor. Now on with the show. Welcome to Wild and Exposed. Your number one adventure, nature, and outdoor photography podcast. Wild and Exposed is hosted by Mike Morrow, Ron Hayes, Jason Loftus, and Mark Raycroft. Thanks for tuning in. Welcome to another episode of Wild and Exposed. This week, your hosts are Michael Morrow, coming to us once again from beautiful Colorado, Jason Loftus from Utah, equally striking landscape, and me, Mark Raycroft from Ontario, Canada, where it does feel like winter for one of the first times this year. Gentlemen, it's good to see your faces. We have a friend of the podcast on this week, a guest that you will recognize from here or there <laughs> from a trip from a trip to Alaska where we enjoyed his company for two weeks that you can go back and hear about that on our podcasts, on his podcast, well, on his YouTube, the YouTube channel out there, on our YouTube channel. This gentleman is a professional YouTube content creator, full-time, something that, you know, we all thrive on creating storytelling content, whether it's through photos or video, being creative, the pressure of that as a professional. We appreciate Sean James joining us today. As you very likely know, he has two YouTube channels, My Self-Reliance and the Sean James channel. And we are especially grateful for his company this week because he has, I believe, chosen us to help him bump his subscribership from <laughs> 1,981,000 subscribers to the 2 million, thanks to being on our show. Right, Sean? Oh, yes. <laughs> Let's hope that happens. Well, thanks well, for having me on again. That's been, I think this is what, the third time? Yep. Well, the last, yeah, it'd be the third time. I had yep. the privilege of visiting you at your cabin the first yep. time. And. Yeah, I was going to say something really funny. You kept me there. It was good. We had a nice long visit. <laughs> oh, it was a lot further than I thought when, when I got there. Yeah. So I was tired, but it was fun. And then you mm -hmm. came to Alaska with us. 
and something we have a good touch on a little bit today. But um, things things have continued to evolve for you. Mm-hmm. It's awesome to see. I think if I remember correctly, when we did our Alaska trip, where you went and visited Richard or Dick Pernacki's cabin. Phenomenal story on your YouTube. Well done. But I think you were around 750,000 subscribers on YouTube at that point. Was that right? And to see where you are now and how it keeps growing, I mean, it's something that we as a collective, and I know a lot of our audience, YouTube's such a big factor these days out there, whether they're content creators themselves or aspiring content creators. It's just like so many other platforms to get to know and be experienced at. So we're grateful to have to have some of your time because you did share a lot of information with us on the Alaska trip, which we're grateful for as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You're well, in Ontario, Canada too. We're, we're like neighbors, six hours, seven hours apart. Yeah. That's uh, a lot has changed since I've, I didn't realize. Yeah. It's probably right. 750,000 subs back then. And, you know, lots changed in my life since then and lots changed on the channel. And I think lots probably changed in social media and the way we capture things and share. I think a lot has changed since then as well. How much has changed on the YouTube channel since then? I mean, can you think back to like things that have changed or do you think it's been just pretty consistent? I mean, you're still producing the same content, right? Not the same content, but you're still producing the same style, but you've gained a huge number of subscribers, what do you attribute that to? Do you think it's the algorithm and your content or what is it? I think in general, I haven't looked at the statistics to see how many people are watching YouTube in general, like overall compared to what's it been 16, 18 months ago, 19 months ago, something like that. I would think there's probably a lot more viewers. And of course, since last March with the pandemic, we've seen an uptick in people sitting at home, just watching anything, consuming any kind of content. And there's presumably been a, quite a bit less content being created for traditional mainstream media, like like movies, for example. You can't go to a movie theater. So unless something was already in production and was in the edit process, I would imagine not, got, not much got uh, filmed during that, that period. And then again, right now, possibly. So I think that's a boom or a boon for... Uh, content creators on the platforms like Instagram, YouTube, and some of the others that are coming up. So I think that's what part of it. And then there's a huge, huge uh, sort of uh, uh, people leaving the cities for like physically, but also mentally like looking for an escape to get out of their daily lives and make changes because they've been so affected by this pandemic. So I see a lot of uh, people um, signing in and reaching out to me personally to get more information on how do you change your life like this? How do you go down this different path? How do you maybe create an income uh, source, uh, you know, online or working from home? How do you get get out of the city and into the country? Like so many things. And then how do you just, uh, just please just let me watch you do something that I can't do with my life. I think that's become pretty significant. People want to de-stress. And that, that's part of what I do is provide that and then the other thing is i have a lot a lot more competition than i did a year and a half ago so that's you know when you get into something a little bit ahead of the curve and creating the kind of content that i that i'm doing before you know got oversaturated when somebody else creates this kind of content all it does is actually create more interest in the overall genre 
and people come to my channel because it's one of the bigger ones that gets promoted. So that's a, that's a lot of change. Before, I guess if we get, before we go too far, can you just give us an idea of what your channel is, how you describe your channel to somebody that isn't familiar with it? Or, you know, some of our audience, we all just assume everybody knows just because it's a, such a popular channel. But what is it that you do and what is it that you're, what kind of content are you putting out? So that's funny because people ask me that question. I always stumble and say the wrong thing or I just say something the way it, uh, the way I think about it. To me, it's just my lifestyle. So all I'm, so, and that I think is the broader category. It's just lifestyle. So I'm filming myself doing what I do every day. And it happens to be mostly off grid, uh, sort of wilderness, self-reliance, you know, homesteading, uh, hunting and fishing and photography and all these things. So uh, overall, I would say it's uh, outdoors oriented and self-reliance. I mean, the, the, title when i came up with it many years ago wasn't really what it ended up i didn't really anticipate me actually going off grid and doing all these things in the wilderness because at the time i was still raising a family in a you know it's still a little village outside of the city and trying to do things like gardening and things like that but it's evolved i've evolved and the channel kind of evolved with me to just present this outdoor self-reliant lifestyle independence resilience like, you know, resilience is a, a big thing, right? A big word right now. Like, I think that describes the channel pretty well is how do you become more resilient? And I just like to show that. But my passion is the outdoors. So at least 50%, maybe four, well, maybe 40% of my content is capturing nature. So the wildlife and the water and the, the uh, weather and all of those things that I just experience every day, I try to capture as much of that as possible because I love it. And then it gets to, I get to show that to people who never get to see that or rarely get to see it. And I get to allow nature to be the thing that people can experience vicariously and de-stress by watching it. If that's, if that's, if that's a description of the channel, I don't know how you'd put that. Yeah, in. no, I think it's good. And I, I would just add to that that it's um, you're kind of a hybrid as far as what you're doing right because something sometimes you're using modern type things like you might use a four-wheeler or you might use a snowmobile or you might use something like that to haul some stuff around but everything that you're building you're building with human power right you're using hand saws you're using hand drills you're you're using ingenuity you're not going to a computer to draw plans to say oh i think i'm going to build this from this architectural drawing so very organic it's very organic. The entire my life is very organic, and the process, how I capture it and share it, is very organic. It's not. There's nothing planned. People ask me, and I got plans for the cabin that you built. I'm like, seriously, I couldn't tell you tomorrow. Like literally, I'm working on a, a workshop right now, and I did stuff today that I had no idea what I was going to do because I looked at my materials in front of me and thought, what am I going to do with this? And it's so freeing to be able to do something not following a plan not following like a code that somebody's created you know self-reliance is literally just letting your mind be as creative as possible and then putting that into form so I, that's a special thing and i know i think people connect with that and i know that's what gives me passion and i have endless content for that reason because i'm so passionate about these things that i'm doing the hand tools, I don't go on about, I don't specifically say, 
all in the hand tools because to me it's all about just connecting with the material and the process whether it's hand tools or power tool i choose hand tools because it allows me to you know i have to follow the grain of the wood for example or i need to if i'm walking through the woods i'm experiencing nature on a much higher more detailed level than if i'm on a four-wheel or a snowmobile traveling through that landscape so to me it's just doing as much old-fashioned happens to be in the old ways but only because of that connection not because i romanticize this harder work because that's typically what it ends up being um I, I just like that connection i love watching it because i love watching just the process i love it's almost kind of like a relaxing thing and oftentimes i find myself watching you do stuff and it's like hmm i wonder what he's gonna do next or what <laughs> Me too. I wonder why he made that cut doing that, or it's just fun to watch. How much have you learned? So how long, your channel's been around for what, 10 years? No, I think um, my first video was, was it 15 or 16, 2015 or 16. Okay, so I, like I, six years. If, yeah, if you were to go back and look at when the channel started, it's only because I created an account to watch other people's stuff. I didn't have videos in 2013 when the chant like the name went live i started uploading in 15 i think it was mostly canoeing so it was, it was canoeing and fishing and then the out hunting video and then uh four years ago may is when i started the cabin and the off-grid lifestyle so you've been building this content for a long time one thing that i think about a lot when i watch your stuff it's you know as you continue to build new structures or new things it's like okay he built this uh, let's say you built a bathhouse, right? At one point. So you obviously learned a ton of stuff there, but then now you're building a new structure. How much knowledge do you gain from the old build? And you're like, huh, on my next, my next construction project, I'm going to do this completely different and way more efficient. There's got to be tons of aha moments throughout every day, right? Where then you're like, oh, this would be so much easier if I did it this way. Or is that the case? That's the way I think about it when I watch it. Yeah, so go it goes even further back. So when I when I was young, I lived on in a small town on the north end, well, about an hour north of Toronto, and we lived on the edge of that town. So I'd walk into the forest farmland to the north of me, and we'd build little shelters and stuff. But when I was twenty one, I ended up with a property that I I bought just you know some money. Uh, the construction the land was cheap. I drove two and a half hours every weekend to get to this place. I built a cabin there um by hand mostly alone again and just loved it and ended up getting married and kind of you know we sold that and moved on but we visit my wife and i went back and visited that four years ago just before like probably four years ago now actually so before i started the cabin i saw the cabin again it was still standing somebody else bought bought it and built a house next to it and they were using it as a shed but they allowed me to go and look at it i was looking at it, it's like this was awesome, but this part rotted and that part rotted. So I got video and uh, photos of it and thought that was awesome as a little hunt camp for me and some buddies back then. So I already started learning at that point. Okay, what would I change when I started the next one? But when I started the cabin four years ago, I was still living in a little uh, town, little village with my family and just going up and doing this on weekends and getting more and more passionate about it to the point it's like, okay, I want to do this life. Like it's the life of my dreams. I always wanted to do this and I'm going to start building this thing. Uh, built the cabin. I wanted to do it small. My wife got involved and convinced me to double the size because I was just going to do a little trapper's cabin. So 
a little bit of family influence at that point, but it still wasn't the idea to live in the thing or to create a, like a whole homestead where you could survive off this property. Um, so it kept going, but because of that process, it wasn't looked at as a homestead. It was looked at as just little projects. It didn't, uh, wasn't, uh, uh, you know, planned. I didn't, it wasn't a long-term thing. It became that, but it essentially was missing certain things. So now when I'm looking at the place that I'm building now, it's like, okay, these are the things I know I need to live comfortably. And I know that my family is going to be here a lot more than I ever anticipated. So it needs to be a full-time residence. So lots of things need to change. So each of the buildings, I tried to use slightly different techniques so that I could apply those and improve on those on the next thing. So the workshop I'm building right now, completely different more of a timber frame style with square timbers. I wanted to use that because I plan on the neck in the bigger cabin to use some of those principles with, with the, in the uh, incorporated into the log cabin. Uh, outdoor kitchen needs to be closer, needs to be more, you know, integrated with the main building. I need, you know, the sauna needs a better water source. The bathhouse needs a better water source. So these are all the things I get to correct this time. It's gotta be and, fun super excited about it oh i love it and it it, it it big part of me is is fed by similar perspectives and, and appreciations in life and i know that your audience is more than excited for all this transformation and to see what you do next on the new property and just it's very cool to explore the property with you and learn about it with you and then to see what you'll do with that and i know that I have uh, friends of mine that, and and not to say that I don't, my friend, my buddy here, but they absolutely love your show and just can't wait to do exactly what you describe for a lot of the audience that don't have. It's just like with with our wildlife photography or videography professions, a lot of people don't have the privilege to come along and experience mm -hmm. that because of lifestyle, because any number of restrictive reasons in their day-to-day -day routines. You made the choice to go and leave the big city and the stress of that lifestyle and to simplify and be self-reliant. And it does appeal to so many people around the globe. So it's it's very exciting to see what you're going to do. And I, I know that it's been probably really helpful for a lot of people to unplug and just watch what you're doing and, and get in that nature vibe and wilderness that they cannot do where they live mm -hmm. and especially this year so hats off to you and and I, I i've yeah it's it's fantastic i from where i sit professionally and as i work on the wild and exposed youtube channel and and on the social media and want to do everything i can to be the most effective collaborator that i can be to get these to grow and and not it's just the same kind of thing to outreach to people who can't or don't have the good fortune to have these experiences. I, I'm passionate about sharing that. Our team is passionate about, we would love to take you vicariously through our social media channels to Alaska, to the coast, to feel that. And maybe someday you'll be able to do it yourselves. But if not, um, at least that we can share this appreciation and why it resonates with us. So there's a similar vibe, albeit a slightly different content 
to what you're producing, but you do have a significant nature portion, wildlife portion, which I personally hope you and I can do more mm-hmm. in the future because of the places I know we can, you know, access wildlife to create content. But I watch your show from the perspective of admiring the success, but how you create it. And I think that's something that so many listeners of Wild and Exposed podcast or who watch our YouTube channel, go watch this on YouTube, and can learn from it themselves. I mean, there's so many ways that we can record and produce content now, whether it's smartphones, whether it's GoPros, action cameras, whether it's DSLRs, whether it's mirrorless. I know the last time that we hung out, you were... I, it was right before you switched to mirrorless. So part of today's podcast, you know, I we'd love to hear how that's working for you. But from the wild and exposed audience, I know a lot of the audience will just like hearing your behind the scenes, but also some of the creative sides of your workflow mm-hmm. because you're so successful. There's the YouTube um, component, which you can share any super secret ninja uh, <laughs> tactics, as Michael Morrow likes to say, with us, and I'll be very grateful. Uh, as far as how YouTube works. But it's also, I think, important, just like we say to our audience, when they go watch Planet Earth or any show on BBC or any network that they really enjoyed, you know, watch it the first time for the pure enjoyment. But you need to watch it several times if you want to be a successful content creator to train. Train one's eye on the edits, on, on how it was filmed. Was it, I mean, your drone footage, when you introduced drones to your show... So you get that perspective of zooming up or down from the cabin or coming in across this epic wilderness landscape where you've homesteaded to show people that perspective. I, I would wager that helped boost things quite a bit when that started becoming a visual tool. Mm-hmm. So I, I would love to hear how you're doing it these days, what cameras you're using, if it's just a whole variety, um, and as far as creating the content. but. Just to summarize and what Michael started this question to me, I mean, it, it's great what you're doing for people where they can share, you know, that de-stress. There's nothing like, we said this with Tim Irvin a few weeks ago when he did the Flips the Script first podcast of the year on us. You know, this year, to go for a walk in the woods, to take an hour out of the day, or wherever park, or wherever you, lake shore, you know, wherever people are right now, it really... To me, there's nothing that that calms and gives perspective on all kinds of things by just having that time in nature and, and experiencing things. And I mean, you live that firsthand and, and take people there. So that's fantastic. So that aside, the high fives, the mirrorless cameras. I mean, what's what's a day look like on your one man show set? How do you how do you pull it off to and do so exceptionally well what's it look like behind the scenes i think it's important just to step back maybe a little bit like people of course ask me about starting up a youtube channel or you know you even get a lot of the smaller creators kind of chatting in the background amongst themselves about why is this guy more successful <laughs> I'm Maybe. saying, if you watch YouTube, that's us. We're, we're getting there. We want to grow this, right? Well, there's some resentment right. even, right? Because <clears throat> not here. wrongfully, people think, okay, the, the, they're getting all the preferential treatment by the platform. You know, their videos are getting promoted and so on. But it does, takes a long time to get to that point. But 
you have to look really it's hard even for myself of course throughout my youtube career if you can call it a career career um gotta look hard at yourself and be able to criticize yourself but also listen to the criticism from your audience and there's always little things that somebody that's got a more successful channel in the same genre might be doing that you're not doing and Honestly, a lot of it has to do with authenticity and passion. <clears throat> like, I see a lot of, you know, the vlogging type channels and, you know, guys that I have respect for and do well, like them trying to come up with content every week. I see the struggle. They talk about the struggle of coming up with content. And it's because they're creating something that's sort of forced. It's, it's, it's interesting. They're good at it and they're passionate to some degree. But you can't be passionate about you know, a huge variety of things. Um, I like the lifestyle genre because I'm filming something I'd be doing every day with my life anyway. This is where it started. When I started filming, it, was, it wasn't even for YouTube. I didn't even know you could, I didn't know it was a career. I didn't know you could make money off of YouTube. And I didn't know it did anything other than help sort of promote your website or something else. But because I was doing it anyway, I was filming it. And then I started slowly learning how to edit that into something watchable. But it started with the passion. It started with the lifestyle that I was able to do every single day. And I literally, there's so many things like four years ago, if I had told you where I would be at this point in my building of the homestead and the off-grid or, or self-reliant lifestyle, I would have told you I was going to be way ahead of what I am now. So to all the things I have in my head right now that I want to do with my life, I don't have enough years. I'm actually, I just turned 50 this year. I'll be 51 this April. And it's like 20 years left maybe of, you know, enough strength to create stuff <laughs> and to, uh, you know, I want gardens. I want permaculture. I want have a lot more acreage now. I want that whole thing to be productive for wildlife and for aesthetics and for food production for myself and my family. These things take time, and I'm looking at it like, how much time do I have to really do this? And I know already a lot of the trees I'm planting, for example, are not going to be enjoyed by myself. It'll be for future generations. But I'm so passionate about all of it. I, I know I would never run out of content. What bothers me every day is that I haven't created enough. I haven't done enough, and I haven't captured enough, and I haven't shared enough. So that's that's where it has to start to like for somebody to say, just want to be a YouTuber. I don't even know where to start. It's like, you better start with passion in your life, not because of YouTube, but how about just, you know, choosing to lead an inspirational life before you, not for YouTube. And then once you do that, once you make that decision to make decisions, decisions in your life, like I did to quit a corporate job, I didn't have YouTube. To, as a fallback i quit that before youtube it's like i don't like the path i'm going down i'm going to change my life and i'm going to lead a life that every day i'm excited to get up and live and honestly that's still the way i am every single day i can't sleep most of the time because i can't wait to get up and do that thing so content is like not like i i i use i usually edit about a 35 to 45 minute video for every friday I was finding I had so much content that I wanted to share, so much more talking I wanted to do and to share that I had to create a second channel just specifically for that so I could do frequent uploads during the week without kind of overwhelming my, my self-reliance audience. So that's how that came about. And I filmed probably 
I don't know, 10 hours a week of, of footage, probably more. And I condense it down to maybe an hour, hour and a half total amongst the two channels. So my process is get up in the morning, depending on where, where I am. I'm getting the cameras, making sure they were plugged in overnight. So I've got the batteries all charged up. I'm ready to go. I get out and I just start doing my day. And I've got a phone in my pocket if it's something that I can't carry a tripod and camera because I have to have a tripod for filming. And I'm using that phone. But almost always, that camera and tripod is an extension of my body and everything I do. I've got an axe in one hand and a camera in the other. Or you know, a gun in one hand if I'm hunting or a fishing rod, but this camera is always there. And you know, the dog knows how to work around the camera. <laughs> my off days, if I'm not working on something or building this, you know, homestead or self-reliance, my my wife and I are out filming B-roll because that's what we love. That's our our hobby, our date days are us out there filming. And we love it. Like so passionate about it we like we're just thrilled to do that and thrilled to you know can't wait to look at that footage and, and get it edited and see what we we captured like it's so much passion that I, it has to start with that so process <laughs> now yeah over the so right after i think I think it was right after that trip yeah right after i went out to alaska with you guys my camera gear was stolen out of my truck so what twenty thousand dollars worth of canon equipment including the 1dx um lenses tripod all kinds of stuff so i had to start i had to basically look at what i was going to get for insurance and decide do i go back down that same path again with equipment that's starting to get old like outdated or do I look at more seriously at this mirrorless stuff? Mike, actually, I texted you. I was standing in the, the camera store like, what do I do, Mike? Do you, <laughs> are, are you far enough down this path that you can give me a, a good recommendation? And before you even answered me, I had decided and bought it. So that was the Sony A, what would that be, 7, A7? S3? Or A7R4? Not even, no, A7 a7 is three. I don't think it. No, I didn't get the R. So the A7 III. Yeah, because I think the R has a higher. Yeah, it's a bigger megapixel. Yeah, yeah so that's better for film uh, for photos. And I was looking for a better uh, film camera. Right. So anyway, I got that and bought another one like a month later because I always need redundancy in case one breaks down. And uh, loving it. Got a couple of ca uh, lenses for those and. Haven't used the Canon gear since, so I'm 100% mirrorless. So is it surviving? I mean, I think a lot. One of the big problems that people thought might happen with this mirrorless is it's more delicate, right? It's it's not <laughs> as beefy. It's not as robust. Do you and and you? I'm sure your cameras get put through the. the I ringer. don't think. Certain. I can't imagine anybody abuses their cameras worse than I do. <laughs> like, think about the outdoor stuff that you do but imagine sawdust you know a dog knocking the tripod over out in a canoe and it falls in the lake it's that's happened to me with the cannon uh, mud rain i don't i'm filming always so like pouring rain on these cameras and i still have those original two a7s's or a7-3s and just recently in december finally got in the mail the uh a7s3 
So all of them are working perfectly fine. Like, and that the A9 is actually the professional one that's supposed to be better weather sealed, I think, too, right? Yeah, so it's more of a stills camera, I think. Yeah. Or it's just more productive as stills. Yeah, yeah. But no, this stuff's worked fantastic. The only thing I'm not, I still haven't really perfected. We've talked a lot about audio in the past. I still am not as happy with the audio performance, my audio that I'm getting out of these cameras compared to my Canon. And so for audio, are you doing everything that's just tied right into the camera or do you sync everything later where you record on the camera just for a scratch track, but you also have a different microphone going? I can't get into that because I just it just adds so much editing time that I have the Zoom or whatever it's called. I think you have the same one. Right. You got recent. I'll use that for background audio. Like I'll just leave it by a stream or near some birds or something, and I'll use that for background. But I just finding that syncing it is just too much effort, so I don't do that. So I just have a Rode uh, Go mic on top of one camera, and it broke down and bought the expensive Sony digital mic for the other camera. And uh, I'm just not finding it as good. And is that just because of the distances sometimes when you're further away from the working? Cause, or is it, what, what's the, what don't you like about it? Well, the Go mic, uh, the Rode Go, I had that on the Canon, same mic, and I still found that it was more, it was clearer. I could go further distance and still have it clear. And then if I turn up the, the uh, I don't even know all the technical terms, but if I turn up the uh, sensitivity or whatever, yeah, I just get more hum on the Sony than I got on the Canon. Oh, right. And this is all probably just me. Like, I'm not, you know, super tech guy, and I don't spend enough time. Like, I get a camera in the box, and I'm filming with it that day and haven't even looked at the specs or how I should be using it. So I'm a horrible guy to give a recommendation on that, you know, specifications on each camera. But functionally, that's my observation. The footage is better. The, the um uh, in general, the, the footage from the Sony, at least, mirrorless, because that's all I've used for mirrorless. Um, I'm finding it's better than any of the footage I've ever captured, and the autofocus is incredible. And they have a wider range of lenses that I can use that are silent. Because one of my issues with Canon, there was only one or two lenses that I could use that were quiet enough to film with. And the reasoning so, there is sometimes you'll hear the motors in the, in the yeah. lens, and so that microphone right. will pick that up. And then if you watch Sean's channel, it's mostly just his main channel. My self-reliance is basically just natural sounds and what mm -hmm. you're doing. You don't talk very much. I mean, occasionally you'll talk at the end of a video, right? Yeah. So it's sure. all just nat sound that's building this whole thing. So, and you, he really does awesome work with the, the nat sound to help tell that story. And it just goes to show how important audio is when you're actually building something. So I can see why you're concerned about making sure you're getting that quality audio. Well, and I get complaints if I put music in my videos over top of what I'm doing because the audience is used to that and they prefer it. But I'm having, I've had so many issues in the last year and a half trying to get, turn to perfect this, this audio issue that I'm putting music in typically because I've messed up the audio somehow. Right. It might be a hum or something that I just, you know, I can't get rid of. Because again, if I was like, could hand this over to a super experienced editor or a learned it myself and spent a week or a month on a video to edit it i could probably figure all that out but i get my footage so let's say i collect it all during the week i release a video every friday morning typically on the main channel the longer video i have to have that edited 
sometimes within like I maybe start editing it just a few hours before it gets uploaded. I don't have time to go in there and perfect audio or, you know, you know, it's a lot of things that I could do. I could do better transitions. I could do, you know, better syncing maybe with music and a bunch of other things that I, this is a high volume game that the social media these days quality is important, but if you can't get the volume out then um, it's hard to make, get any traction. I got more questions, but I don't want to cut you guys off. Go ahead. Jason, we're like totally going right over. We're not giving you a, a place to speak. <laughs> well, this is the first time I've actually got to chat with Sean. So um, I've been following the channel for a while, but I think what I just to kind of comment, maybe I don't know if I have a lot of questions, to be honest, but um, I'm intrigued with this whole process you're describing. But um, for me, what I get out of your channel is that just relaxing and watching, you know, everything unfold. And to me, a little bit of the problem solving, too. I enjoy watching that unfold and, you know, what, you know, like, what's he going to do? I think Mike mentioned it, but you know, what's he going to do next? How's he going to do that? What's, you know, so that aspect of it to me is kind of fun to watch. Um, I don't know if I'll ever be, you know, doing my self-reliance or building my own cabin or building my own furniture or anything like that. But, but it's still very relaxing. It really is. When I first started watching it and following along, I didn't know that I would, if I would actually enjoy it and want to continue to watch, but it just sucks you in. And it's very, it's very enjoyable in a very positive way. It's very enjoyable and relaxing. So, mm -hmm. thank you. Well, I think that's what speaks to building the content too. I mean, I was going to say that earlier. It's why. So yeah, you didn't go to school for for photography or videography, but you figured out how to tell a story, and I think that's the most important part, right? You don't have to have the most perfect camera. Obviously, you got some perfect cameras, but you still have issues with them because of just the technical things. And there's so much. If you wanted to be an expert on the camera, you wouldn't have time to build a cabin. So, yeah, you know, I and think I, go go ahead. Well, I am. I've become passionate about the the filming and the photography. Like, I've, actually, before YouTube, I had some success on Facebook with my photos and my wife's my wife's photos. Actually, we're taking a lot of nature and you know canoeing type stuff and selling calendars, and I really love that. And it, kind of uh, actually before that I had like a little power shot can and I didn't even know how to use that properly and never off of automatic so this was like I'm diving right in with a Canon 80D was the first camera I got which was one of the best filming DSLRs you could get at that time it's cheap like a crop sensor fairly cheap camera but it was just perfect for vlogging and that's I think what it was designed for so I learned on that and progressed from that I could still be using that camera to this day um, it's just that uh, I like the the quality of the professional finish that I get from just a better camera. It's not necessary to tell the story, but you know when YouTube started really promoting 4K and I jumped into 4K myself. Really, Mike, I think maybe you were kind of kind of inspired me to do that when I was out there. You like you should be future proofing your footage. And I found even with the Alaska stuff, I didn't have it all in 4K. And I had I'm re regretting it now because I'm creating 4K trying to create compilation videos from that period and, uh, and meshing it with other footage. And I wish it was higher quality. Right. So that is why I keep getting these new cameras and keep evolving my skills with and the equipment quality of the equipment just so I can now look on a huge screen because that's the other thing people's screens are getting bigger and you can look at it and see every detail and the reason i got this this a7s3 is the uh, 4k 120 because i love 
that slow motion stuff, especially with wildlife, and now to be able to get it in 4K, amazing. Like I got some, uh, I don't know if you saw last week's video with the buck, up, up, really up close, like his head filled the frame and it's licking and every detail, it's just beautiful. So that's what I've become passionate about is not just the capturing and the vlogging on the, the YouTube YouTube channel, but how can I how can I immerse people fully into that experience through really high quality footage? And I and think I'm that's really the point I was trying to make earlier. I think um, my point was, is you started out with not a lot of knowledge, but you had the storytelling capabilities. And now through the evolution of that, you've learned how to use the cameras and you've learned how to maximize that, which just enhances the storytelling stuff that you already had. So now you're mm -hmm. to a point where you have, a lot of it dialed in and you all I, I i still have problems with audio i still have problems with technical stuff all the time and i'm like I, you know i've been doing this for so many years you would think you would kind of would have figured most things out but the equipment changes things change menus change all the stuff changes constantly and you just got to stay on top of it and to produce what you're producing is you're you're right there with the best of them well you have to like for my type of content it's very uncontrolled um, environment so today I started off I think it was minus 12 or something when I was started working and then it got mild and everything's kind of steaming up and overheating and then it started snowing heavy so my my uh, uh, dead cats are like can't even see them it's just a big white snowball on top so and then I take it inside the workshop where I'm cutting something and there's sawdust like there's so many variables to deal with that it's hard to control all of them at some point, you just have to let go your your uh, that perfection that you'd like to get as a filmmaker, and just realize that. And it just, I think I answered this question maybe in Alaska. And you asked me about. I think Mark, you asked me what's the highest ISO ISO I'll go up to. Infinite, because it's the story that I'm telling. It's not trying to capture a perfect image that has to get blown up and, and you know enlarged and printed out. It's about I can't miss that footage because ISO was too high or it was too dusty or the camera wasn't perfectly focused or, you know, too much snow in the lens. You just shoot it, shoot it all and then figure out how to make it work once you get it onto the editing table. I think that's the beautiful thing about YouTube. YouTube is, is like a, it's not Hollywood and it's not your beginner. It's kind of a meld of everything in the middle. And, and I don't think people expect Hollywood production quality on youtube i think people like that grittier kind of feel <clears throat> because i think it tells a, a more real story right so i think it lends itself to that sort of a production so one of the things like if i'm going to give tips or just through the conversation if anybody wants to do this and is trying to pick stuff up it's a, i see people trying too hard to tell us force a story and they're scripting it and then they're you know, either scripting the act activity or scripting the actual words. And they're, they're trying to remember. It's like saying a speech when you're in like grade seven and, you know, you're trying to remember what's on, written down on the paper and you stumble more than if you just got up and just spoke freely. Um, so just like preparing for that speech, like learn your content, learn your passion and, and just speak from the heart instead of following that script. And try not to do that with you know what you're creating. That don't create a, a thing just for the sake of the video. Create that thing because you want it in your life, and then film that process as you're doing that. And then you're not as you know striving for as much of that perfection or that 
you know, and ending up with, with fake, that fake look, like you have to be authentic about it. Mark, I cut you off earlier. What did you have to say? That's okay. I've got, I'm going off in different. I, Sean, you have a deer that's licking in front of you, slow motion, and you don't text me to come and photograph with you. <laughs> okay, there's number one. All right, I won't even give you a chance to answer that. So the other, the other thing, just ninety percent of the audience will know what a dead cat is that you're working mm-hmm. with, but for the ten percent that don't, a dead cat on your set or not, we set in your where you're filming is is simply the cover over your microphone, right? The, to block the wind. Everybody no, needs a dead cat. Kelly chased a cat down. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so that was that's the upcoming clip that people can look forward to. This exactly. this week is something yeah. to do with the dead cat on, on the yeah, homestead, you know, I see. Off, was it a lynx? Drivers. No, that's on my far enough north. I was going to contact you and tell me to... We got to find a lynx this winter. That's still my on my bucket list. Oh, let's do that. How much fun would that be? Yeah, I know where there are some, but it's a bit of a drive. Yeah, bit uh, quite a bit of a drive. Yeah, <laughs> but anyway, like Alaska drive. No, no, not that far. Um, In the problem. So there, there's so many things to talk about with the YouTube, but. but Quickly, when you're filming, I assume that the Sony mirrorless cameras you're using have the articulating rear screen that you are, or are you just so used to filming you know where your screen presence is, or do you have that so you can see as you're vlogging? That was a sacrifice when I went from the, uh, so the, so the Canon, or the, uh, yeah, the Canon uh, Mark, or whatever, 1DX, Mark II, I think it was, that um, did not have an articulating screen. I got used to using that, but I mo- mostly just use that for B-roll, so I was behind the camera. My The last Canon um, sort of vlogging everyday camera I used was the 770? Yeah, 70, I think. Anyway, that was a really good camera that had an articulating screen. None of the mirrorless, I ha- don't think, had it. So when I went to Sony, these two Sonys don't have an articulating screen, just a tilting. And that was very, very hard to get used to. And it meant shooting a lot of scenes where, I, you know, headspace was all off. I was either low screen, high screen or whatever. So I started backing off, shooting at 4K so that I could crop it in a little bit. Um, this 7, um, A7S III, they finally fixed that and came out with an articulating screen. So I'm back to being able to film myself properly. That's a big, a big difference, right? Just for confidence and lack of repetition, I would yeah. think. Yeah. Oh, so as far as camera equipment, it sounds like you're using those Sony's for the vast majority of your filming. But when you're doing adventures like the canoeing and you're taking people with you where it's not a stationary situation where you have a tripod, are you utilizing GoPros a lot? Like we know you use the drones for the, those captivating clips, but uh, how often do you use action cameras? Yeah, well, I crashed the drone, so I ended up having to replace it uh, with a um, the Air Mavic Air 2, which is fine and really, it's actually best one of the three now. Fine, and I use that every day almost. I try to get some beef roll footage. The GoPro, you know, it's funny because the new um, uh, Apple cameras are pretty good. The iPhones are pretty good until you get them up on the screen beside your 4K footage from a DSLR. And it's like, <laughs> use this. Like, I just, you know, spent half the day filming with the phone and I'm throwing that. Stop, okay. And the 12? Are you using the 12? 
11 um, Pro Max, I think it is. Okay, good. I just got the 12 <laughs> Pro Max, so I'm hoping it's not already. Yeah, okay. Oh, I'm all excited about the 4K footage I'm seeing on it. But... Well, it's fine for the quality that you put out. It's perfectly fine, and for most people, it's fine. It just doesn't match, <laughs> doesn't marry well with the DSLR footage. I'm making a snowball to throw up my Mac screen right now. <laughs> <laughs> well, okay. It's, it's, it's fine. I'm finding the same, though, with the GoPro, honestly. So I like, I mean, I'll use it. I'm basically willing to sacrifice the DSLR on the canoe in the canoe. Okay. I'm using so that big a difference. The DSLRs, if you can manage it over the action cameras or iPhone, it's, it's still do it. I'm only using the GoPro when I wouldn't be able to, you know, I'm not going to hang the DSLR over the canoe or put it underwater, obviously. Right. So I use it for that, but I don't think I've had it even charged in six months. Okay. Like, really? Do you think that's a function of light quality, though, too, where I, I always get the feeling like if I've got really good light, the iPhone tends to be fine and GoPros and action cameras are fine. It's just when you get in that low light situation where it gets yeah. kind of grainy and, you know, like you said, it's it's usable, but it's not when you put it next to really nice footage, it's not so usable. And they break. Yeah, it breaks down. The quality breaks down for sure in low light, but you also... Again, if it's not like you get a different, there's a lot. I guess there's a lot more color grading required if you're marrying up all these different cameras into one film or one video. So if I use the GoPro, I, I actually like the look of the GoPro on its own. But again, I put it next to the 4K DSLR footage, and it just looks off. It doesn't doesn't marry. So it's different. Again, if I put it underwater then there's no direct comparison with, you know, the light quality. Um, I guess if I spent, again, days or weeks editing each video, I could color grade and get them to match. But, yeah, I just, it's not the same. Well, I think that speaks to your workflow, right? Because you just said earlier, if you're, if you're editing two, three, four hours before the thing's supposed to go live on YouTube, then you don't have time to be digging into 17 different kinds of footage and different qualities and making them look all the same. And that time just doesn't exist in your life or your schedule. Yeah. And I, like my wife does help me film and on like B-roll days, I'm always working alone. So all of that footage generally is myself filming that. But if we go out shooting, like we shot waterfalls this week and I actually released a video on my smaller channel a couple of days ago of behind the scenes so she's filming me filming as well as capturing things. But I put it all on the computer and I've got 250 segments from two different cameras. And a lot of those were taken at the same time. But where in the in the file in the folder is it the same sort of image but slightly different angle that I'd like to put together? So I end up filming or editing this this camera and this camera separately because the first thing I do is get all I drag all of my clips into the timeline on Final Cut Pro on Mac. That's what I use. So I drag them all in instead of you know picking and choosing. So they're sitting on the screen, and I really quickly without audio just go through every single clip from the beginning. I cut it off because there's always some camera shake where I touch the camera to turn it on, and then at the end is that as well. And again, if it's like a three-minute clip and I want five seconds, I pick that five seconds out. I chop, chop delete delete move on to the next clip 
that's all happening literally like a couple of seconds i might be able to edit each clip and it's getting to that point just from experience and then i'll have a whole bunch of clips that now maybe aren't a you know a proper storyline so how do i now move these things around so i'll do that and then i've got this other camera's footage that i have to do all the same things to and then figure out where they fit into the timeline the storyline so it could take me a day to do to edit that kind of footage, which is frustrating. And find out some find a lot of times, unless it's completely different angles, completely different perspective, then it's not worthwhile doing. So that's when we'll go out and my wife will take a camera and we'll put a you know maybe a one to four hundred on there, and I'll be using a sixteen. What's this? A sixteen to thirty-five. So we've got such different footage that it actually makes sense to have both of the same thing that I can actually use together. So my lenses, that's, so I got a 16 to 35, uh, it's a Sony lens, which is, um, you know, especially if I'm working inside the cabin, I need lots of light gathering, but I need that wide perspective, but not great, you know, when I'm filming myself from a distance, it's just too far. And then I've got the, you know 24 to 105 and i just got today or just arrived in the mail today the g master what is it 100 to 400 sony beautiful lens and then a, a two times extender coming so that'll replace what i've been using on the uh sony's i've been using a canon adapter with that sigma 600 yeah, one, 150 to 600 i think it is so that's really slow. This should be really fast, but it's a camera. It's a lens that I'll take out for wildlife and have the other cameras for or other lenses for my close-up stuff, for my working stuff. And maybe I'll give my wife that or, I'll, you know, she can use her Canon stuff or the, the other, one of the other Sonys and put the Canon adapter on and use her really good Canon lenses. You can never have too many cameras. So you might as well just get another whole new R5 setup and all that too. <laughs> <laughs> for for your wife to work to run. Well, I have to sell some of this stuff. Like that 150 to 600, I'll never use it now. Got a 100 to 400 Canon or something here. Beautiful. Or 200, is it? Awesome lens. And it hasn't, oh, the 70 to 200. I don't think I've ever used it. Like it, it's so wasteful, but it's, I don't know. It's one of the things I invest in. So I, you know, money goes back back into the creation of the content. And that means better equipment. It's not necessary for everybody starting out, but if you're getting traction and you're making some money that's paying for itself, then why not do the best has that with anything in life, create the best thing that you possibly can create. If you're going to do something, do it as good as you can. That's how I'm feeling about this stuff. So kills me to spend $500 on a body. This a seven S three. I think it's like 500 bucks or something, but 5,000 bucks. Yeah. Yeah. Could I get your your pro deal? (laughs) (laughs) Did you have a question, Jason? Yeah, I do actually real quick, Sean. So I, I see the passion for the wildlife side of things too. How often do you actually get to go out and focus on the wildlife side of things with everything else you have going on? Um, so the beauty of where I am is that I'm actually living in a forest and I actually have wildlife all around me and I can jump on, you know, four wheeler, 
or a snowmobile at this time of year or go for a snowshoe or a ski and get into wildlife. Um, if it's driving, you know, within an hour or two, I can pretty much hit all of our Ontario game. So it's almost every day. Like I might start off the morning by shooting the deer like I did the other day and then I'm working for the rest of the day. <laughs> Come I never see you out there. <laughs> That'll happen. I, I'm overdue. I'm looking forward to the next time we can hang out. Yeah, me too. Um, you know, the wildlife is, there was a trade off. There was a short period. There's three years that I didn't have a dog and much easier to fish and canoe and hunt other things and photograph. And when you have a dog who is very, has a very high prey drive, it's <laughs> hard. It's hard to, uh, get onto the wildlife like around the cabin even like there's if we're not there for a couple of days there's like moose tracks come literally work on the front moose walk right over the porch right across the front um deer same thing a merton they've got fisher coming right up to the door of the cabin but after <laughs> once we settle back in then they're not <laughs> you don't see any of those except on trail camera at the other end of the property out on crown land yeah but anyway, that's the answer. And there's days though that, you know, my people say, well, don't you ever take a break? Well, yeah, our break is like, we'll just take off for the day and we'll just drive and go visit everywhere we know that there's wildlife or beautiful waterfalls or whatever. That's our hobby. And it's, I love those days. Yeah. That's neat. You're just living, you're just living it. Just, yeah. That's, that's, that's what I say about the lifestyle. And if it's something you're that passionate about or interested in, then, I think it's good for you and it's good for your family and everybody you know to be the best person you can be and the happiest person you can be. And if that means immersing yourself fully, and to me, nature is like right at the top and should or could be for most people, and then immerse yourself in that and every day is like awesome. I think for most professional wildlife photographers, it's the vast percentage of their life is devoted to it because it's, it's how we want to live it's what we want to experience i mean of course there's downtime that we go visit family or friends or something else has to be done but given the choice you know obviously we have to catch up with the editing but given the choice on any given day i want to go find animals mm -hmm. photograph to watch sit down i mean i i always crave going north to algonquin we've got some mature white pine in our property but not not the same kind of situation there where you get that whispering breeze through the pines as you sit on the rock looking at the lake. I mean, right there, it, it takes any stress and it evaporates. Yeah, That's where we want to go, right? So I, I love how you direct people to create content that feeds their soul, that mm -hmm. authenticity comes through. Um, as far as the YouTube stuff, I don't, there's some questions as far as you you put up on Fridays, there's so many things about algorithms. You know, are there certain days of the week that are clear or does it depend on the show? Or is it just simply that your audience knows it's Friday after a period of time and that's all that's necessary? You could have picked a different day. It might be as equally successful once that consistency is there. Or is it? are there days that like Wednesday don't go there? Is there something... Any experience or advice that way? I think it's probably different for everybody, first of all, depending on the, the genre. Like if you're creating 
kids content, for example, you're going to want it like right after school during the week. Weekends, people are busy typically running around and they're less predictable. And it also depends where your audience is. Uh, for myself, what I discovered is that uh, Fridays work because people are, you know, at the end of the week, they're unwinding, they want something to watch. And by doing something consistently, and I've rarely missed a Friday in the last four years, that's the program that they, they know they're watching every Friday night. Families, like as I'm creating family-friendly content, they can reliably sit in front of that TV every night and watch that show. And I don't know. I don't. I haven't watched traditional TV in years. I don't know how many shows are on Friday nights, or what I'm competing against, or how predictable, or how good the quality is of those shows. So all I know is that for me, the audience has come to expect that every Friday there's going to be something. Now, what I'm a little bit surprised at is it doesn't seem to matter you know, what time of day on Friday now. And I think probably it did in the beginning. But as you say, people are now waiting for that to be posted. They know every Friday they're going to they're gonna typically find one of my videos. So I post it as often as I can if I have it ready at 6 a.m. Friday morning because I have a global audience. So people over in the U.K. and Germany and Australia, a lot of people in those areas watching, and they're tuning in then. And then, you know, as we get to North America, I start I get another uptick around 6 p.m. as as people here in North America start watching, then that goes across the, the continent. So it's different, but I've had three or four videos on trending, trending page on YouTube, and every one of those has been outside of that day like Monday mornings, a couple of them and a couple on Sunday evenings. So it's hard to say. I think probably I just happened to hit times where the, the competition maybe was lower or my audience was just um, for what something worked out that people happened to be home that day. I don't know what. Like a lot of content, they say 10 o'clock when people are at work. So a lot of people are watching stuff at work. <laughs> and if you have a video that you're not talking in, they can do that. Shh. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and saying I, I don't get in trouble when I do that, thankfully. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> As I'm editing. And, and that's a uh like the not speaking thing is one of the things too. So I create two different types of content. Some I don't talk at all in and on those videos I get a lot more interaction from people that don't speak English. So it's a broader audience, a much bigger audience. And that's interesting. I thought about the language barrier and how that it was still appealed to them. Right. Yeah, on. absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I have a huge, like probably, I think Turkey is probably like number four or five for, for demographics for the countries that watch, watch the channel. And mm -hmm. you can't understand what I, when I'm speaking, if I speak too much in that video, I need to do closed captioning and then hope that they can translate it. Wow. Really interesting. You know, something I think about with YouTube versus traditional television networks and their shows, there's so many fictional elements to all those shows. They're fast-paced fictional mm. dramas or thrillers or something. And then you have what they try with the reality shows, but they seem so hyped up. Mm -hmm. You know, and it's a thrill. It's an adrenaline rush. But when you have a successful YouTube channel like yours and like, I'll say this with a straight face, like we aspire to have someday... Uh, the audience knows it's real. The people yeah. watching know you're real. Mm -hmm. And what you're doing happened. 
there's that reality connection uh, on a per more personal level. They know every week that you're out there creating this content and they can watch it on Friday. And sometimes they interact with you. They send you a message and you reply back. It's, it's just psychologically more of a, a positive connection with that content creator, those that are attentive to their audiences. And I think that's a big part of the driving force for successful channels to continue to grow. They, and you, and they develop a, a rapport, a relationship, right? Mm -hmm. With, with you as a content creator, it means yeah. something to them. Me with them. Me with them. Of course. I get, I get of course. comments and I get, I know a lot of the people now. Well, right. I don't know you guys online, but uh, specifically commenters on the YouTube channels. I, I look for their comments. Like it, it's, it's a nice community. Definitely. Yeah. And uh, yeah, it's one awesome thing about social media, thankfully. So another uh, YouTube question as far as creating content. Now, I understand for your show how longer clips uh, <laughs> make a lot of sense because people want to unplug and follow you. Five minutes isn't going to cut it. Fifteen minutes won't do it. It's got to be long enough that they've sat down and, and really felt the vibe. And I think that, you know, has a lot of merit. But from if you just I guess it's hard to comment on a hard ask question, because for your type of show, that makes all the sense in the world to have the longer length. But from your experience with YouTube across the platform is the you know, advice you can give for the minimum length that people should target for a clip for, you know, hoping it will be successful or are there any parameters that you would give advice on that way? Well, I chuckled when you said about the other show, reality shows that are, you know, fast paced and dramatic. And that's typically because they're scripted or they create these situations. I don't know why people watch what I do because like, I'm filming today and like, I'm, I think all day I was putting up uh, floorboards, oak floor uh, boards in the workshop and doing a little gable end insulating and putting some things up there. And it's like eight hours because it's so slow at this time of year with the, cold and the snow and everything like everything is got to heat up literally pieces of wood and the tools over the fire just to be able to use them and i'm like people don't do they actually want to see this like this is the <laughs> most boring video ever i can't post this so it, it is different for, for channels like mine like people want longer videos and they're okay with just zoning out to something that's boring like that but you can't do that as a new channel you have to be Life isn't boring, buddy. Just saying. And your life isn't. But yeah, okay. Sorry to interrupt, please. <laughs> it's uh, yeah. The uh, you you basically make videos the length that they should be, based on what you've done and how interesting it is. And until you build up a rapport with an audience, you can't expect them to sit through that boring stuff. And even on mine, you know, I would say. 65% of the audience are not sitting there watching all of that. But the ones, but those people can fast forward where the people who want the longer content, if it doesn't exist, they can't fast forward. They can't slow it down. They have to only watch what you produce. So why not produce more and let them choose how much of it they want to watch, but don't put stuff in there. Like just for no good reason. Like if it's not interesting, even to yourself or it's not, beautiful like i do long like clips like 
you know, 10 minute segments just of nature at the end of a video that a lot of people are tuning out for, but the people who really want that or want to relax, it's there. But don't, if you did that as a new channel, you're just probably going to turn people off. So you want to stick to quick, quick clips. Like, it's, you know, when I'm doing that type of video, two to three, four, five seconds, maybe each clip, and then you have to change camera angle. So I'm like, it's become second nature, but if you, somebody was new to do a channel, they wouldn't understand how many camera angles, how many times you need to move that camera. Even if you're sitting there working on one thing for half an hour, you should have moved that camera five or six times. Like it's that important because your audience will get bored and they'll fast forward or they'll click off. So with that being second nature for you, is that always in your mind? You're like, okay, after these three nails, I'm going to go... <laughs> Change, grab the camera and I'm going to move it over here and then I'm going to work for 10 more nails and then I'm going to move it over here. Is that just a constant kind of thought process? Yeah, yeah somewhat, but it, it's um, depend. like usually you're doing something. You'll find that once you start filming in that fashion, that, that method, that um, if you're working, you're typically not doing one thing statically in one spot for very long. You have to go grab this tool or grab some more nails or do this or that. Every time you do that, that's when the camera gets moved. So sometimes I mentioned, I think a clip that I had today, it was like 40 minutes. I left the camera running because I was doing something that I can't run back and get the camera for. I'm using five seconds of that in the final edit. So it's and not going specifically to move the camera. I'm moving it when it makes sense to move the camera because I'm up anyway. And then length if you were just trying to target a length though mark to answer your question youtube wants people to stay on the platform they want them to stay on your video because as soon as they click off there's a chance they're going to go somewhere else and get distracted so over 10 minutes is a good target um, they're going to try to put as many ads in as possible which you need to keep an eye on and don't let them do that pull them back out so you don't bore your audience with too many ads like a lot of Things that you would know intuitively, but if I watch your own uh, attention span, what you're watching, what are you willing to sit through? What, how many, how long is a clip are you willing to, like, if you start tracking yourself watching a YouTube video, see where you start to lose interest, like you are right now. <laughs> if you just, no, I'm, I'm, I'm ready. I have a question on the tip of my tongue. I, uh, but yeah, okay. No, as soon as you start drifting off, you know that you sh if mm -hmm. you were, watching your own video, your mind goes somewhere else, that clip better change or that video better end. But don't create content, long content, just for the sake of creating long content. Create a life or a thing that you're doing that's interesting enough to to become more than a 10 minute video. But most, my smaller channel is mostly like five, six, seven minutes. Okay. That's something that Michael's brought up over the years is that when he's got a clip or put something together, a test he'll do is he'll have someone sit down and just he watches them to see at what point they look away because we all are invested in our own product right we love our work we want to watch it from beginning to end because of what we did to create it but testing it on other people family members friends you know whatever is convenient is a great way to learn about tweaking your show anyone's show mm -hmm. so i have a question working on the youtube content for wild and exposed it's a learning curve it's a learning process like all of these platforms are and for some of them that the algorithms are changing this is a new thing for us that we love putting out these podcasts on youtube so people can watch us talk 
and see our interaction and if we have product or anything that they can see it on the show so we put out these long format ones with the hope that people will watch all of it obviously not necessarily one go but the wonderful thing about youtube and compared to watching your show on a network you know i I guess you could pvr it now but historically it's gone whereas this you know if you've got 20 minutes you watch 20 minutes it's going really well but oh life's taking over pause you know, four hours later or even the next day or two, they can come back and pick it up and enjoy the content that was waiting for them. Mm -hmm. So we like putting out these long podcasts this way. But your mention about the ads, like Sean, okay, let's talk about this because this is new for us where we have, you know, we want to do what we can at this point to try and have funding cover our production and someday make some profit for the efforts that we put into this production the past four years. We love it. We're passionate about it, but we devote a tremendous amount of time to the show because we love doing it. But at some, you know, it's got to make, it's got to make some money for the amount of time it takes out of our professional lives. Mm -hmm. So we now have monetization on YouTube. Now people, it's, it's not going to knock your socks off. I think, I think we're at $35. So we're, it's not a get rich fast scheme here by any stretch, but the idea is, you know, we've, we've just added, um, brought Tyler back on with the team to do some editing, some production stuff. We want to continue to evolve our product. And as I suggested on the last podcast, we have some that well, the one that we just recorded or it might be a couple from this one now we have plans we have big plans for youtube it's very exciting so we want to keep investing time into the products that we're putting out in the different playlists on our channel but with these long videos when i put it up and when you select monetization in hopes that there be some funding to support the efforts there's a whole pile of ads and i didn't know until you just said this because I work in these quiet times in my office, that I can control those ads. I figured that's just due to the duration of length, YouTube automatically put in those 10 ads for the first two-third slot uh, time frame of our one-and-a-half-hour podcast. So now, can you tell me how I can manage that better? And for those out there wanting to do their own YouTube channels, like how do, how do you pull those ads or change them? Yeah, it's hard to, without having the platform in front of me that they created okay but essentially they're in your editor i don't know how much you know so if you go to when you're uploading the video it allows you to select monetization but there's a there is one checkbox that says i don't monetize it till i make it public is that a mistake i don't hit the monetization on or off until i select public Sorry, I'm making you be a teacher here for a minute about no, this, but I've just... See, here's one. <laughs> I have a lot of tangents, but like people complain about censorship on social media platforms. Assuming they're like, these are, you know, we have, we're entitled to these things. These are all businesses, Facebook, Instagram, YouTube. They're there to make money, and the platform wouldn't exist. So we can complain all we want about being censored, but the the only thing we're being censored for typically is that the the advertisers are reacting to their customer base who are telling them we don't want to watch this, we don't want to see something 
I'm not even going to pick a thing that ha happens in the world or happens on YouTube, but anything, anything that they're not comfortable having their brand associated with, they're going to say, we don't want to advertise on videos that include that kind of content. So that censorship is coming from us, the people, the consumers who are choosing not to buy a product because we heard the CEO did this or that, or they don't agree with this or that. So, so when we choose to then monetize, we choose to participate on a platform and create content on a platform where we're getting paid through advertising dollars. We have to be aware that our boss is the platform and their boss is the, the advertisers and that we have to satisfy them and, but also satisfy the audience and ourselves. So find a balance between those things. So when you choose to not monetize a video, YouTube's in the money of making business. Why would they bother to show that thing? And it's not censorship that they're not going to distribute that video to a broad audience, but they're going to want to show videos that make the platform money so that the platform can continue to exist. Because I believe YouTube still loses money for Google. It's never had a profitable year as far as I know. So we're, you know, if we don't want it, if we don't continue to support the advertisers, even as creators, then this platform might disappear. And that's not censorship. That's economics. It's business. So you should choose always to monetize any video that you want to get promoted or you want your audience even to find because they won't even show your own audience. And now yeah. the other part of that, you need the reason you make long videos is because YouTube, like I said earlier, they want people to stay on that platform. So if you give them a five-minute video and they watch 40% of that, that's hard. Well, it's only a couple of minutes that they're spending on that platform. If you put an hour-long video and the audience watches 30% of that, that's 18 minutes they've stayed on your video. And then YouTube can then show them some ads. And then you make money and they make money. I, I don't object to the ads because I recognize their, their, their important role in the situation. It was just, and nor do I have any desire to necessarily cut them back, you know, but if there were 10 ads in the first 40 minutes of the clip, you know, I just didn't realize that the content creator had any play in choosing, okay, maybe we just do eight or maybe we move this one. That was what I was getting at because we had one mm -hmm. listener comment. I mean, I think the vast majority of the audience recognizes the importance of the ads and how it plays for these platforms they don't th they, they don't, don't. <laughs> they don't the reason it matters and i'll tell you why you need to ch uncheck that box is that when they youtube does that that shows up in the timeline at the bottom of the video that for every viewer before they even click on the video they can see how many little yellow dots are on the bottom line they know that you have 10 videos in the first 40 minutes they're like i'm not wasting my time i'm not sitting through that Ten, well, because there's always double now, right? Two advertisements per per spot, so right. they're not going to sit through twenty or thirty ads to watch your video that might or might not be that compelling. They're interesting to begin with, so <clears throat> <laughs> not talking specifically about anybody. Oh, good. Right, okay, good. Thank so, you. so that so hit monetization before you publish, okay. but. There's a checkbox, and I keep forgetting to uncheck it. You, um, I didn't even know about this. Well, here's, here's it's in your default uploads. So go to your default uploads, and your uh, it's a tab over on the left in Creator Studio, and okay. uncheck place automatically because I, well, 
So anyway, okay. just uncheck that place automatically. And then when your video is finished, um, what do you call it? Not rendering, but uh, processing. Processing. Um, when your video is finished processing, then you can hit, pub don't hit publish, hit uh, uh, unlisted or private. But then go back to your editor and now go in and manually put your um, put your ads in. Now, if you're careful and you're willing to go back, leave place automatically on and they'll put them in good spots, like typically a break or a transition in your content. For me, a lot of times it'll go from when I'm building to now nature scene. So they'll put an ad right there. Problem is they do front load it and they put way too many, like every three or four minutes. So I'll go in there and then I'll just start deleting the ones between where I don't want too many, but I do like where they've placed one between, you know, good at a good spot, a good transition. But I only want them like every 10 minutes because I don't want to watch a video that's got a, uh, ads, like three ads in the first 10 minutes. I'll click off of it typically at that point. So like I said earlier, I've been watching an inordinate amount of YouTube here lately, and I've noticed on some of these guys that are spending a lot of time with that particular part of it, mm -hmm. they're really, I mean, I, I think you can think about it during the edit too. So as we, you know, these podcasts are pretty much free flowing and we just put it out as we record it, yeah. right? But if we're mm -hmm. going to go produce a thing on how to shoot this or whatever, there's different times within your story where the, it's the perfect place for an ad. You know, if you're giving someone a, a thought process into what's going to happen in the next 10 or 20 minutes, you want to put it in there because you're going to want to go see that right. what's going to happen 10 minutes from now. Right. So I've been seeing that a lot lately where creators are taking the time to say, you know, this is a perfect spot to put the ad and I've seen it. I didn't know you could do that, Sean. So that's awesome information, but being able to say you can, and am I correct? And you can actually move it to where you want it to go in once you select that. Yeah. So YouTube is pretty good at finding those spots you're talking about. Yeah. I guess because they've got their their uh, AI actually knows what you're saying and they actually track it. It's just like they're getting really good at producing the thumbnail for you if you let them. So if you do place automatically, a lot of times they'll pick that spot anyway. Right. But then you can go and check it. Yeah, you literally go into the editor and you can drag that thing by seconds to yeah. any, any direction you want. And I don't see it a lot, but I see it enough where it's like, uh-huh, this person is totally paying attention and maximizing the opportunity to use the content correctly so that it keeps them for the ad and they're going to stay for that. And then, of course, everybody can skip an ad if you want to. You don't have to watch the whole thing. I do and to support the YouTubers because I want... And what I use it for is just like you did in the old days with regular TV. That's when you get them, go to the bathroom, and that's when you take care of whatever, let the ad play through to support your content creator, and then pick up the story when it comes back off that ad. Some wonderful subscribers or followers will do that. Most won't. Um, but you can also choose the type of ad, right? So if I put up, a like I did an hour-long nature video, I think, last week, or I did a midweek one, actually, too, this week, 12 minutes or something, I... I unselected uh, skippable and non-skippable ads. So the only thing it would show is banners. The banners, you could keep watching right through a banner, right? You don't have to, there's no action and there's no interruption in the music or the scene. So I don't want to interrupt a nice peaceful video with an ad in the middle, like especially right. if someone's kind of zoning out to it, puts it on loud and walks away just to listen to it. And then an ad pops up in the middle of that. Right. 
uh, you got to be careful. So what kind of ad, how many and where they're located. And, you know, most people aren't watching your video to the end. So you get very little value to have for the ads at the end. But if you let YouTube put all the ads they want to put in there, like 40 ads in a 40 minute video, <laughs> you make a ton of money, but hardly anybody watches it at some, by some point because they just click off by the third minute. Unless you have alligators eating other alligators or something crazy. It's a science, right? I mean, really, all the details, all the layers. Well, I think Sean hit it on the head, right? It's just a professional thing. It's a business. And mm-hmm. you just got to yeah. treat, you got to treat, we have to treat it as a business. Just as much as YouTube is treating it as a business. And you just got to focus in on But it's just a learning process, too. I mean, being fortunate enough to talk with you, Sean, is is super helpful be, just for us but i think for the whole audience too and the cool thing about youtube is you can learn how to do any of this if you want to know how to place ads you just type in youtube how do i place ads in my video and there's probably 40 people that are showing you how to do it out there so it's a it's a thing that builds on itself helps itself and i don't know i think it's going to take over the world yeah well that's it's hard to buy for us, like my wife, I think is finally agreed she's going to give up her 5D Mark III, I think it is. Took, took awesome photos, but now she's looking at them compared to what I'm getting now off of these Sony's. It's like, okay, now even that's left behind. But it's like she'll take photos and then I take video all day. And it's like, what are we going to do with these photos? <laughs> not, I mean, not you guys do something completely different, but I mean, for the average person, hardly anybody wants to watch those or look at photos because there's so many great photos out there too with everybody with a camera in their hands capturing things that are unique just because of the volume of people out there doing it that's hard to stand out where video i mean it's i mean podcasts are the thing too like they're higher weight like 10 times the amount of people 10 times the volume of uh, podcasts being listened to compared to being youtube videos being watched <clears throat> so that's great too, but still photos are they're a tough sell now. So video is where it's at and things are going to continue to evolve and you can keep learning. But at the end of the day, it comes down to whether you've got a unique lifestyle or a unique hobby or a unique product, something that's different than anybody else. Because the more similar you are to somebody else, the least interesting other people are going to find that. So and that's not intuitive, I don't think. I I know when I started the YouTube channel, if you go back, you'll see some like local hiking videos and stuff and, you know, canoe routes, like how to canoe this route, thinking I'm being helpful. But the amount of people that want to be helped and the amount of competition for people that are actually helping them is low compared to the number of people that want to be entertained. So and you want to be entertained with something that's unique to you, not something that you experience yourself every day. That's just the life I'm trying to escape. And that's, I mean, that's great for the global audience, the urban audience who want to experience the remote wilderness that you live in and that lifestyle. So and you take it for granted, right? Because that's the other mistake is thinking locally or thinking too, too focused. So you can focus, you can go really deep on a subject and become an expert in that. And that's awesome. And I think you guys have the, the ability to go do that on one hand, but also to take people into the field with you on the other hand. So they're experiencing that vicariously. So you have two ways to approach it. Um, and I would be doing that 
like with people with skill sets like you guys have and access to places that you have that most people don't. A lot of people like myself focus too locally, forgetting that what a lot of Canadians do on a weekend, which is what I started doing on the YouTube channel, is like, hey, this is not interesting. All my friends do this every weekend. Why would people watch this? But you forget that there's 7 billion people around the world that don't do that. 7 billion people that are probably 6 billion people that don't experience the snow that we experience or the caribou you've got or the elk that you've got in your background. It's like, I haven't even experienced that, so I want to see that stuff. It's in the books. <laughs> <laughs> I can't wait to, to do it with you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I said last last year with you guys. Like a, that was trip of a lifetime. Like, I'm really missing out not being able to do that this year or last year. Yeah, for sure. Well, there'll be other, hopefully, other opportunities. Yeah. Sorry. No, that's good. Mm-hmm. Lots, lots more opportunities. Well, thank you very much for for taking the time to to take us behind the scenes. And really, there were some nuggets in there that were quite enlightening as far as YouTube and production as well. So before winter's over, I hope we have a chance to cross paths and and hang out and catch up a little bit. But in the Mm -hmm. meantime, I'll enjoy seeing your sweating it out and hard work up there on your new homestead. And watch it from a creator's perspective point of view and and enjoy that process that you're working on as well and how you do it well it's been a pleasure as always with you guys and get to i don't drive as much as i used to so i'm back to what you said about long content i'd probably take three or four trips by the time i listen to a full podcast from you guys but really enjoying what you're doing well much appreciated if you're not already following sean's work on youtube it's worth checking out he's got two channels he's got my self-reliance which is super popular, seriously, and the Sean James channel. My self-reliance, he takes you into his world. He immerses you in the Canadian wilderness where he's living off the grid and building a homestead with various outbuildings, doing so much by hand, the old-fashioned way. And so many people really get wrapped up in his show because, especially this year, it's a great de-stressor. You can just watch however long you want. They're long episodes. It's quiet. He's not talking much during the My Self-Reliance uh, episodes. It's just his work in the wilderness. It may be a canoeing trip in the, in the remote forests and, and lakes of northern Ontario. And, I mean, it's breathtaking countryside. His variety of camera angles and using drones and the lifestyle he has with his golden retriever on his homestead and building these outbuildings and and what he harvests and collects off the land it's all very interesting and and it's a super popular channel because of that it's you know people used to have the as a joke right i mean when there are all those channels on cable tv there was one channel with the fireplace playing just in the background it's so soothing for people to watch my shelf reliance channel takes you to the place where the fireplace was made and what the life was like all around that and you can just chill out and enjoy sean's world his other channel the sean james channel is growing exponentially in popularity as well and there he takes you behind the scenes at creating his more popular channel my self-reliance talks more about his production and his philosophies on life which are quite insightful as well well from the wild and exposed team from your host this week michael morrow jason loftus and myself mark raycroft thanks for listening you can find more of our content on instagram facebook 
on our website at wildandexposed.com. Once again, a reminder of the great merch on the store that Mr. Morrow worked so hard to put up. It's good stuff. We've ordered it. We've tested it. And it helps support our efforts. So for those of you that have ordered and sent Instagram photos that we've shared on our stories, that's cool. Much appreciated. It's great to see. And thank you. Our podcast, as you know, audio podcasts come out every Tuesday. And you can watch our exciting YouTube versions on Fridays. Until next time, you've been listening to Wild and Exposed Podcast. Thanks for tuning in. We got our windows down, driving down the 405, sing along to the radio. Gonna make it someday. Nothing's gonna get in our way. We will be the biggest band in time.